1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15? I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 17. Here's how the Bible speaks to us this morning I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. By remembering where we are in the gospel of John, Jesus is in the final hours of his life when he's speaking to his disciples here in John chapter 15. He's sharing some of his weightiest words with his disciples in the context of his own death. He also has just given to them an extraordinary demonstration of love by washing his disciples' feet, taking upon himself the role of a servant, and he has called his disciples to the same love. And in the broader context of the book, the Gospel of John begins by telling us that there is life within Christ Jesus and that life is the light of all of mankind. It shines in the darkness. It isn't understood by the darkness that God will make to be his sons and daughters all who believe in the name of Jesus. And throughout the book of John, John has, Jesus has continually been um, lifting up The humble and the lowly, he has continually been a stumbling block to the religious insiders, even proclaiming at the Feast of Booths that the great water rituals and light rituals during that feast initially intended to demonstrate the special place that Israel had as God's own, that they were about him, that they were about him. All this leads us to this particular passage where Jesus uses some remarkable imagery of a vine and a vine dresser and branches. And all of that directs us towards him in obedience and friendship. There are three points this morning as we take a look at this passage. Abide in love as a friend of God. Abide in love as a friend of God. Each one takes us to the next part of the passage. Let's start with abide. Jesus begins with words that may be very familiar to you if you're a Christian, maybe even if you are not a Christian. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, says Jesus. Jesus crafts a vivid metaphor, but he doesn't just pull it out of nowhere. The language of a vine is present throughout the Old Testament, But just as in the feast of booths, the water and the light spoke of Israel and Jesus says, well, it's actually about me. So in the Old Testament, the vine was always used to describe Israel. Let me give to you one of the clearest examples. Would you turn with me to Psalm 80? Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 80 because I just want to draw out the way that vine is used for Israel in the Old Testament. There are several examples, and I'll give you some of those examples, but I just want to draw our attention specifically to Psalm 80 here as we begin. I'm going to read Psalm 80. I'm going to start at verse 8, and I'm going to read through... Probably the end of the psalm here. Psalm 80, starting at verse 8. This is what the psalm says. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. In Psalm 80, Israel is likened to a vine that the Lord plucked out of Egypt and then planted in the promised land that grew large, that covered the mountains with its shade, spread to the ocean, had its roots go all the way down to the river, but now it has grown dry and is in need of restoration. And the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 80 is that the sun would come and bring that restoration. Restoration. Israel is likened to a vine in several other places. And if you have your journaling Bible, you can write these down and you can check them later to see. Uh, you can check my work here. But, but Israel is described as a vine in Isaiah 5 and 27, in Jeremiah 2 and 12, and in Ezekiel 15, 17, and 19. What unites each one of these is that these images of a vine to describe Israel is this, and every time Israel is described as a vine, Israel's is a dead vine, or a vine that isn't bearing fruit like it once did or like it should. And it's because Israel has no life in her. Israel is not the cause of her own existence. If Israel is to have life, she needs to be grafted into the one that Psalm 80 looks towards, look forward to. The son. Israel needs to be grafted to the son. The hope is in the son to bring restoration. And here, the son. Israel's greatest son. Greatest king. The son of God. Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the true vine. And the reason that he is the true vine is he has life In and of himself. And that's why the metaphor is so vivid. Because the Lord Jesus is the vine and continues to be by virtue of his own life. The Father is the vine dresser. And his disciples are invited into this metaphor, into him describing how one can have life. Because not only does he describe himself as this true vine... He says that his disciples are the branches that have life because they are joined to him. The true vine with life in and of itself that gives life to all who are joined to him. This indestructible life. It belongs to all of the branches connected to the vine. And he says to his disciples, you're the branches. You're connected to me." He says that this has happened because of his word in verse 3. Because the disciples have heard and believed his word, they've become connected to Jesus. They have life.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 Hope For Your Life, Visit us today at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. What do you Believe gives you life. What gives you or restores your life? What is it that you believe in the secret recesses of your own heart that this is that thing which can give me life or healing or rest? What is it that you believe that if you were to have just that, that it would satisfy you? Maybe it's children. I had a friend who once said, now that I have children, I feel like I'm, for the first time in my life, truly whole. Maybe it's a spouse. I had a friend who once said, I'm marrying the one my soul finds rest in. Forgetting, for the moment, tragically, that Psalm 62 says, my soul finds rest in God alone. Maybe it's friendship. W.H. Auden writes of one of his friends. He was my north my south my east and west my working week and my sunday rest he talks about how there's no hope in life because his friend has died if you've joined yourself to anything for enduring life that is not jesus it will disappoint you and you probably notice the command that jesus gives as he gives this metaphor it's the word that he repeats the most in the passage he he repeats it 11 times just one word abide All right, so if Jesus is the source of life and the way that you experience that life is by being joined to him, what we are commanded to do is to abide. Now you might wonder, well, what does that mean? Well, if it's said 11 times and it's this command that's given again and again, we should probably try to figure it out. The definition of abide is to accept or to act in accordance with, like I will abide by the decision. The thesaurus says that similar words are to obey, to observe, to follow, to keep to or hold to. Which means that it's an active reality. It isn't just sitting in the same place. It's something that implies being active. Sinclair Ferguson, in talking about abiding, says that it involves two things. That if you are someone who wants to abide in Christ Jesus, it means two things. The first is that by God's grace, you have been given faith. And that's what verse 3 talks about. How already the disciples have been made clean by the word of God. to gift of God by faith. That's the first part of abiding. Here's the second. Obedience. The first part is receiving faith. The second part is by faith and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ obeying. So maybe we could put it this way. To abide is to By grace, through faith, draw near to the Lord Jesus and remain near him in obedience. And so if you have, by grace, through faith, drawn near to God in obedience, and if you are, by grace, through faith, continuing to obey him, you are abiding in Christ Jesus and you, therefore, have his life in you. And if you abide, you will bear fruit. And if you don't, you will die. And that is what the scripture says. You'll experience destruction. Jesus says it plainly and clearly. Whoever abides, uh, if anyone does, verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. There's no Christianity without true Christian fruit. The alternative to a fruitful Christian life is Dead wood, either in part or in whole. The alternative to a fruitful Christian life is, is death and destruction. That's what the metaphor is giving to us. There is either life where we are joined to Christ Jesus and experiencing the fruit that comes from being joined to Christ Jesus, or we are not joined to him, we die, and we're destined for destruction. And so, let me just take a little bit of time here, because I know our time is short, let me take a little bit of time to just express how what Jesus is saying, both before and after, helps us understand what kind of abiding he's inviting us to and calling us to. Now, A couple weeks ago when we were in John 14, we were talking about what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says at the very beginning and the very end of John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. And he says the reason that he's going away is that he's going to prepare a place for his disciples so that they might be with him always. As Jesus then goes into what's recorded for us in John chapter 15, he's not hedging that. He's not saying... All right, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let not your hearts be troubled, maybe, if you're good enough. You know, if you've got sufficient fruit, if you did enough, he's not following let not your hearts be troubled with let me trouble your hearts by letting you know it's actually 50-50 on this whole dwelling with me thing. Jesus continues to speak to them in love and tenderness and assurance, full assurance that they are his and that they are joined to him, that they are clean because of his word, that they are experiencing the life that comes from being joined to him. He's speaking to them with that level of assurance and goodness. At the same time, if you just look with me at at John chapter 16, verse 1, which is coming soon, Jesus says this, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. To keep you from falling away. Jesus is giving to them and to us this morning this warning about dead wood and destruction to keep us from falling away. It's because of his love. And so John 15 gives to us an opportunity to take stock this morning of your own life. Is there anything in your life that's preventing you from abiding in the life of the Lord Jesus? Is there anything that is stopping the flow of life from Christ Jesus into us, the branch? Is there any sin or sinful pattern of behavior by which we are separating ourselves from the Lord Jesus? This is seriously destructive. It leads to dead wood and to destruction. And so the response is to ask the vine dresser to take it away so that you might be fruitful. Oh, Father. I recognize this morning the seriousness of my own sin. Would you take it away so that I might bear fruit? Because the other thing that Jesus says is, you know, to every branch that is bearing fruit, he's going to prune so that it can bear more fruit. You know, the process of pruning is, is cutting back that which is dead or is not growing properly so that the plant can become more fruitful It's something I didn't understand when I was a kid and we had plants in our own house and my mom told me that I got to take a chainsaw, which was super fun, and cut a bunch of branches off some of our bushes. And I was like, won't that kill the bushes? And my mom said, no, actually it will allow them to grow more because you're pruning them. It's my favorite chore as a kid. Jesus here will prune us not to destroy us, but to make us more fruitful. And so in times of pain, don't be discouraged. God is active and God is acting to make you to be the sort of person who will bear much fruit in the heat of the trouble. Sometimes we might pray, I have. God, would you just take away all of this that's creating a burden or causing pain? Sometimes the reason for the pain is that the father, the vine dresser is pruning you not to harm you, but so that you might be more fruitful. So what is this fruit? Well, the rest of the passage sort of makes it clear for us. John 10 says that part of the fruit is effective prayer. John 11 says that some of the fruit is experiencing joy in Jesus. Verse 12 says that it's experiencing love for one another. In verse 16 and 27, in next week's passage, we're told that a witness to the world is a part of this fruit. Effective prayer, joy, love, witness to the world. This is the fruit of abiding in Christ Jesus and growing up in him. And the one that Jesus centers in on is love, is love. Jesus says that we are called to abide in him and specifically to abide in love. He talks about how love is the marker of Christian obedience and of the Christian life. That if you are joined to Christ Jesus and experience his life, the way that that flowers and blooms and bears fruit is that you will be a loving person. And the challenge of this text is that there's a specific kind of love that is in view, the hardest sort, of self-sacrificing sort. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The kind of fruit that comes from being joined to Jesus is a self-giving love. The hardest kind of love that there is. Laying down life for friends. Brian Chapel tells a story in his book, Each for the Other, about what this love looks like. He talks about two brothers who decided to play on sandbanks by a river's edge. He talked about how he lived in a town where there were regularly large mounds of sand. He says, because our town... Depends on the river for for commerce, dredges regularly clear its channels of sand and deposit it in great mounds beside the river. Nothing is more fun for children than playing on those mountainous sand piles and few things are more dangerous. While the sand is still wet from the river's bottom, the dredges dump it on the shore. The piles of sand dry with rigid crusts that often conceal cavernous internal voids formed by the escaping water. If a child climbs on a mound of sand that has one such hidden void, the external surface easily collapses into the cavern. Sand from higher on the mound then rushes into the void, trapping the child in a sinkhole of loose sand. That's exactly what happened to two brothers as they raced up one of the larger mounds. When the boys did not return home for dinner time, family and neighbors organized a search they found the younger brother in the sand. Only his head and his shoulders protruded from the mound. He was unconscious from the pressure of the sand on his body. The searchers began digging frantically. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he roused from consciousness. Where's your older brother? The rescuers shouted. The younger brother replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. With the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother had lifted the younger to safety. Greater love knows no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Oh, this is the most challenging of loves. And you might hear it and think, well, in that situation, I'd do the same. And yet day in and day out, in ways small and large, seek your own way rather than laying down your own life for the sake of others. Jesus is about to demonstrate the fullness of his own love for his disciples by going to the cross By bearing all the wrath of the father. And by placing each one of his younger brothers and sisters on his shoulders. So that we would not be crushed by the wrath. But live. But live. This is the kind of love to which you are called. Genuinely. How do I lay down myself for others? How do I obey? And you're able to do this. Because Jesus has saved you. He invites you. To this kind of love because he died the death that we deserved, we can now go and die to self as we love others. Then let me conclude with this. Abide in love as a friend of God. Jesus then ends by telling his disciples that they're not just his servants. They're not his bond servants. They're his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Obedience, you see here, is not what what makes someone his friend. It's not as if the disciples had now performed enough obedience so that he'd call them his friends. Obedience, rather, is what characterizes everyone who is a friend of the Lord Jesus. If you are a friend of God, you are going to be characterized by obeying him, by obeying his word. And this is an amazing blessing to be called a friend of God. In the Old Testament, there were only two people who were called friends of God. Only two, just Abraham and Moses, two of the greatest, most well-known heroes of the faith, the one who was the founder of the people of Israel and the great one who redeemed the people of Israel from the land of slavery and and took them all the way to the the promised land. These were the only two in the Old Testament called friends of God. Jesus says, all right, everyone who is characterized by this abiding, abiding, obedient, self-giving love, the life that comes from being joined to Christ Jesus, all of those, those are my friends. And here is how one becomes a friend of God, by being chosen by God. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This takes away from us any kind of pride in being called a friend of God. You're chosen by him. You're redeemed by Him. You're engrafted into Him so that you might truly live in Him. So now you, friend of God, genuinely live in self-giving love as one who's chosen by God.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs This is Pastor Derek Bukema,
1: and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.